Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Chance for Smith. And she takes it. Sophia Smith with the United States first goal of this championship. It won't be their last. Big opportunity for England here in this first half. And an opportunity not taken. What a save. Kelly Teus. And I think the referee is going to rule that the goalkeeper. Stanway with a second chance. She takes it this time. England won 18 0. It's day three of the FIFA Women's World Cup and two of the tournament favourites, England and the USA, have kicked off their World Cup campaigns with wins. And for the first time in any World Cup, there has been a penalty awarded in each of the first eight games. Joining me today are the Athletic Charlotte Harper and Michael Cox, who is inside the Brisbane Stadium. Afternoon, Charlotte, and good evening, Michael. Hello. Hello. Uh, we're also going to be hearing from Aston Villa and France's Kenza Daly ahead of their game with Jamaica tomorrow and Stephanie Young on America's 3-0 win over Vietnam. But where else to start then? Them with the Lionesses. That's a very hard game. I'm very happy with the three points. Kaiti, what we said, they're unpredictable. So the Lionesses started their World Cup with a hard-fought victory against tournament debutants Haiti. Georgia Stanway scored the only goal of the game from the spot as England came an energetic and pretty impressive Haiti team. Uh, what was it like in the ground, Michael? Um, a good occasion. I mean, almost nearly a sellout. Um, most seats filled, maybe not a great noise. I think with a lot of these women's games at big stadiums, you don't really have coordinated noise. There's no massive kind of chanting, but definitely massive excitement from people here. A lot of England fans clearly travelled over. So yeah, it felt like a really, like a really big occasion in a city that is clearly very proud of its sporting heritage because they're using today to remind everyone that they're hosting the Olympics here in nine years' time. <laughs> um, eight games so far Charlotte we've had a penalty in every single one what is going on madness uh, even the England game the referee blew the whistle for full time and it wasn't even full time yet um, <laughs> <laughs> so it is it is interesting the use of VAR I think you know both decisions um, firstly the penalty that wasn't given for England and then the second penalty that was given, I think they were both correct decisions. So glad to see VAR in use. Uh, I'm just waiting for when we can actually uh, hear the VAR discussion and as they do in rugby. Um, that's a separate topic. Yeah, we might be waiting a little while for that, but it is nice to hear the explanation from each decision. What did you think about the explanation for when Rousseau's clip seemed accidental? Um, I mean, I think it was accidental, but I think most fouls are accidental. They, they can still be fouls. So yeah, it was a fair decision. I hadn't considered that might have come into play. Quite rare that you would see a player booked 
for a foul in the box, but it doesn't actually lead to conceding a penalty. So, yeah, it was a very strange evening of refereeing decisions. I find that that, that announcement of the VAR slightly farcical, but, uh, I don't know, added some comedy to proceedings, I think. Surely when they have these decisions as well, if they give the explanation first before their decision, we'd be able to hear the reasoning a bit more because sometimes they get drowned out by the crowd when they say penalty, no penalty. So I think, you know, a little bit of feedback for the referees, like I'm a pro, uh, as if, but um, that would be good. So both keepers were, were sensational this game, Charlotte. Mary Earps, um, wow. Again, a couple of crucial stops and near the end there, I mean likely to make that goalkeeper shirt right now, don't they? They certainly do. They would have been flying off the uh, Nike sails. Um, yeah, crucial saves from Earps, uh, called when needed. I spoke to her uh, earlier this year about staying focused um, and how she keeps that concentration in the game. And just that composure as well. You'll often see her go to ground and that's just to have a breather, tactical kind of reset um, because the... England weren't in control of this game. And when you have someone who can dictate that control when she has the ball in her hands, it is very, very important. Yeah, she's very much a leader, isn't she? Talking of leaders, Michael, I wonder if you could see more than us because Millie Bright looked a few yards short of the pace, perhaps understandably. But it's needs must, isn't it, with Leah Williamson not being there? Yeah, definitely. I think there's two factors here. One is the fact that she obviously hasn't played a game for... Uh, trying to do my math here. Four months, I think, it is since, she, since she played 90 minutes, and I think she did just look physically quite rusty. I think there's another element of it, because without Leah Williamson, obviously, she's the captain. And captaincy in football always used to be kind of a little bit... We made too much of it. It wasn't that big a deal, really. But these days, when you've got to spend the build-up to the tournament, leading negotiations with the FA, you've got to make public statements about which of the armbands you're going to prioritise... You're almost becoming a bit of a politician, and I don't think that comes naturally to Millie Bright. I think she's a really good on-pitch leader. She's improved massively over the last four years in terms of her consistency. But compared to Leah Williamson, who's who's very eloquent, really comfortable in front of the cameras, just being in her press conference yesterday, I detect, detected a bit of weariness, to be honest. And I think, like I said, there was fitness concerns as well. But, I mean, she completely misplaced her first pass of the game. And I... I tend to think that's probably a psychological tiredness rather than physical tiredness. So, yeah, obviously really important that she's back for England, but it was was a a really difficult night for her, I thought. Yeah, it looked tough going at times because Charlotte Haiti looked good. They were organised, they were dangerous on the break. Uh, Do you think maybe a few scouts might have been watching that keenly, maybe some WSL scouts and watching their chances of progressing from this group? Absolutely. Look at Melchia Dumonet to to Lyon uh, and what a player... She was, check out the radar, Michael Cox has written a brilliant profile piece on her. Haiti were very good, played very well. Uh, it was just individual errors uh, that led them to conceding penalties, which they didn't need to concede with the arms raised. That was just a, a stupid mistake. Um, but the work rate, the technical ability, you know, Haiti broke England's back line several times. So... China and Denmark, they will be, um, I wouldn't say nervous, but they will be really tasty games for Haiti to potentially take off points of them. It's quite incredible, incredible, isn't it, Michael? You know, all that amidst a country in turmoil. There's a great piece, by the way, um, Laurent Dubois on The Athletic, about this, how they've trained for this tournament in the Dominican Republic because of security concerns. Their coach has actually only been to Haiti once. With all that in mind, how impressed were you with them today? Yeah, they did very well. And I think maybe the most impressive thing was that 
England knew what they were going to get in terms of the counter-attacking through midfield in particular, and they still couldn't deal with it. You know, it's not... We're not talking 20 years ago where you'd turn up at a World Cup and you play Haiti and it would be a surprise and there'd be players you wouldn't know. I mean, Serena Vigman was very clear. England had the videos from all their games over the last year or so. England have got an extensive analysis department, very highly rated. You know, the players were prepared for that challenge. They, they weren't surprised by Haiti, I don't think. They just couldn't stop them because they've, they're really good players. So, yeah, they were. I mean, Haiti will, I'm sure, be very proud of their performance, but probably frustrated to come away from that without getting anything, really, because they created a couple of very good chances. And as you said earlier, England relied on Mary Earps, who probably should have been player of the match ahead of uh, Georgia Stanway, who got the award here in the stadium. Would Dumonet not get be, have a shout for player of the match, Michael? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it never, you never see it given to the losing team's player, which is annoying, isn't it? I think it's, I mean, partly these days it's press conference related, isn't it? Because we get a press conference with whoever wins player of the match and they always want someone who's won, basically. But no, I agree. Dominay probably was the, the outstanding player on show. So England have ended their worst run without a win, which is three games uh, for four years. But, you know, they are unbeaten in 18 competitive matches, Charlotte. Where are England right now? What are we expecting? Because casual viewers this morning might have thought, oh, it's Haiti, you know, they're going to wipe the floor with them. Um, Speaking to people ahead of this game, there was not that feeling. There was some trepidation. So where do we assess where they are after this opener? I think if you roll back a year to um, the Euros opener against Austria in front of a, a what was then a record attendance for the Euros, that performance from England was organised but nervous, cagey. Austria played very well. Uh, England won 1-0. Here, England would be disappointed not to have more control of the game. Looked a bit frenetic at points. But there was certainly intent, an intent to score. Uh, I didn't feel England were as nervous. They were just a bit all over the place, which is very unlike England under Serena Wiegmann. But you've got to remember this team hasn't played together. It looked like that, didn't it? It looked like that. Yeah, England, England haven't played together. They've played three games in just as many months. And especially that back line haven't played together frequently, given Millie Bright's injury. She's, as Michael said, been out for four months and has only rejoined full training recently. So it's tournament football. I know it sounds cliched, but the most important thing is three points on the board. And look at how England built from the Euros last year. We're here from Serena Wiegman and Georgia Stanway on tomorrow's pod with the Athletics' Jacob Whitehead, who was at the post-match press conference. In Group D's other game, Denmark beat China. England play Denmark on Friday. That's their next game. Coming up after the break, we'll look at the tournament favourites USA's victory over Vietnam, assess Japan's win against Zambia, and we're going to hear from Kenza Dali ahead of France's opener against Jamaica. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? 
Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. USA got their campaign off to a winning start as they played Vietnam in their first ever World Cup match for either Vietnam's men's or women's team. And the Athletics' Stephanie Young. Watch this one. The United States looked okay, given the tweaks to the lineup, such as bringing Julie Ertz back as a center back and not a midfielder and starting Savannah DeMello. In fact, I'd say these tweaks were fairly successful. Ertz stepped out of the center back position well. She consistently threatened at goal, especially if you're looking at delivery into the box or set pieces. Um, she looked good alongside Naomi Girma, and Demela was able to get some good minutes imposing herself on the midfield, even if she was a little inconsistent. But you might expect that in literally her second cap ever being her first World Cup game. Other high points include the Alex Morgan-Sophia Smith partnership, with the two of them really looking like they were finding a rhythm together out there. Sophia Smith was always going to be a focal point of defenses, but I think she and Morgan have put teams on notice that you're going to have to account for both of them at the same time. Roosevelt also looked good, considering we were all waiting with bated breath a little bit to see how fit she'd be for this tournament, but she looked typically Lavelle out there as a substitute, and I thought she added some good ball movement for the team overall. Um, There is the usual caveat that they were playing a team that hasn't had as much experience at dealing with the United States, and obviously the Netherlands coming up is a huge test that still remains. I think this game answered a couple of question marks in terms of individual players, but it's still tricky in terms of the overall roster rotation, particularly in that center-back area with Ertz and Alana Cook waiting to play. Okay, Michael, there were lots of changes for the US then. Did you manage to catch most of this earlier in your day over in Australia? I did. I watched it in a very quaint little fan park in the centre of Brisbane, which is the most, yeah, most well-behaved kind of... uh, felt like everyone was gathering around to watch a game of croquet or something with with kind of deck chairs and stuff, but it was was lovely. I thought Vietnam were really impressive, actually. I mean, I, I know they didn't have a shot on goal, so they didn't offer much going forward, but... You know, considering the difference in quality, to keep it at 3-0, I think is pretty impressive. And this is a Vietnam side who have got 23 homegrown players. You know, there's other sides in this competition who are outsiders, who have kind of naturalized players or players who don't have, you know, they've got some kind of link to the country, but often haven't really lived there or grown up there. This is 23 Vietnamese players. And I think they they played more positively than I expected, more competently than uh, than I expected. And it's almost been a bit of a theme so far. All the, all the teams we thought were real underdogs have actually played well. And I think that's great considering one of the storylines of this tournament is the first time there's been 32 teams. And you always wonder, are the eight extra teams going to compete? Well, Vietnam competed, Haiti competed, Ireland on the opening day were really impressive. So it's been good. There's been a couple of, of bigger scorelines. Um, but yeah, so far, so good for the tournament as a whole. Charlotte, Sophia Smith uh, looked good, didn't she? Her first ever World Cup appearance, two goals and assists. Is she an early Golden Boot contender? Do we think if USA are going to go deep as we expect into this tournament? Definitely up there, especially um, with Sam Kerr being out injured. Uh, Sophia Smith just, I don't know, she just makes it look so easy. Really, really excited to watch her kind of go deep into this 
uh, tournament. And it's not only the, the goals that she provides, but assists as well. Again, check her out on the radar. And, but there's also been so much hype about her. So it's nice to see her. And I'm sure that will manage her nerves if there are any nerves. First game, two goals and setting her rhythm really nicely. There were changes, Michael. Four of the 2019 World Cup final players featured. Um, but who stood out for you in this game in your posh fan park? <laughs> um, obviously, Sophia Smith was very good. A couple of nice touches from Alex Morgan. Obviously, quite a bad penalty. It's always interesting that Juliet's played at the centre of defence. I guess that makes sense in a game where you're going to have probably 75% of possession or whatever it was in the end and no real attacking threat from Vietnam. So, yeah, they looked OK, the US, I think. Really, we've seen a few quite sluggish starts from the favourites, them, Australia, England. I don't think any of them near their best. And I know this isn't the case for every player because not every player plays in Europe. But as Charlotte mentioned with regard to England, these players haven't played much football in recent months. They haven't played competitive football. And most of them haven't really played that many friendlies. You know, and the only friendlies they've played have been completely behind closed doors and we haven't really had a chance to see how well they've gone. So... Yeah, I think everyone's just kind of still warming up to their best, or at least I hope so. We had another penalty in this game, Charlotte. How many more? Um, Vietnam keeper Tran Thi Kim Phan saved it. It was brilliant scenes, though, wasn't there, in that moment? I mean, to save a penalty on the world stage from the USA must have been very special. I'm sure she would have, you know, wanted Vietnam to win and then concede a penalty, for example. But that is a huge win for her. You have to take the small wins when you're Vietnam against the mighty United States. And the reaction from her teammates as well. I mean, it's Alex Morgan. Brilliant. Love, love to see it. Uh, might they stand a better chance, do you think, Michael, against Portugal or the Netherlands? Yeah, possibly. It's, it's, it's quite a tough group, this, actually. Um, and I think the interesting thing is that Portugal-Netherlands game is down in Dunedin, which I think I said this on the preview pod, but that's so cold. It's about six or seven degrees. It just doesn't feel very World Cup-y. And I think there's going to be some issues, you know, kind of going between different climates for some of these teams. But yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to some of the games in this group. I think it's going to be quite tasty. Absolutely. So there was a dominant display for Japan in Hamilton. They scored five against a youthful Zambia side. It was only 1-0 at half-time, though, Charlotte. Japan had a couple of goals disallowed as well. Their second biggest World Cup win ever. How good yeah, did they Japan look to you? Japan were an interesting one because nobody was really talking about them uh, going into the tournament. I remember Michael said to me on the way to Qatar, watch the um, Japan World Cup video that was on. And yeah, they looked impressive. I think a transition team against a Zambia defence is always going to have good opportunities to score. But five goals, the biggest margin uh, of victory so far. And yeah, maybe I underrated, underrated Japan. Zambia's goalkeeper Catherine Musonda was sent off for a second yellow. Uh, she gave away a penalty in stoppage time. How much might that affect their chances in the next two games, Michael? I can't tell you much about Zambia's backup goalkeepers, I must be honest. But <laughs> I did enjoy just the novelty of a goalkeeper being sent off for two bookable offences. I know. That must be very rare. What a day, of, what an incredible day of officiating and weird things <laughs> happening, which I think is a, is a fundamentally important part of the World Cup. You're not going to have 64 good games. You have maybe half good games and the rest just have to be kind of entertaining and funny. And I think we got that today. Well, her replacement, Eunice Sakala, saved the penalty, but she was ruled to have come off her line. Um, clearly, that is something the refs are looking at carefully, as we saw in 
um, the Lionesses game. Charlotte, what do you think then of the standard of officiating so far? Because it feels like they're being quite meticulous, as we saw when the final whistle went but didn't go. That was absolutely ridiculous, wasn't it, at the end of the England game? Yeah, I, I just didn't even know what was going on. And I think Georgia Stanway was like, what has just happened? Um, but standard of officiating, yeah, no problems from me. I think there were some calls that uh, the foul on Chloe Kelly um, should have been a red rather than a yellow, given it was studs studs up right across her shin. Regarding the keepers coming off her line, we've had that fast before, um, and with technology, it's it's very easy to spot now. But Thais in England against Haiti, she was well off her line, so no no problems there. It was a weird one that yellow card, wasn't it, Michael? You alluded it just to, to just to it earlier on. At the time, I was like, why is she booking her? Because technically that is not in play. But then she still made the challenge, still yeah. aggressive. So is that why she got booked? And, and with Charlotte's reasoning, then it could have been a red... I mean, you look at those stud marks and the inside of her shin pad was horrible. Yeah, I, I guess it's it, it wasn't for the kind of sporting nature of the fouls. It was the kind of dangerous play or whatever the yeah. the precise ruling is for a yellow card. But you're right, it was it was... I mean, it's quite funny. We've got the referee explaining the decision and we're still like, yeah, that was really confusing. Didn't know what was happening there. But uh, there you go. So France get underway tomorrow against Jamaica. Uh, before the tournament, Charlotte spoke to French midfielder Kenza Daly about their new coach, Evie Renard, and France's hopes for the tournament. What's really intense is someone really demanding. What I quite like with him is when he introduced himself, obviously he didn't need it because we all know him, but he introduced himself saying, I'm not going to change my way to managing a team. I'm not managing a woman's team. I'm coaching a team. And I love that because everyone's speaking about women's football. I'm quite like, it's not women's football, it's not men's football, it's just football. And when you start like this, I was like, oh, I quite like that. He's a good manager. He proved himself to the big stage, like the last World Cup. And he came with humility and saying, I'm not going to change myself. And that's what we expect from him. It's someone really demanding. Yeah, as I say, it's someone that knows how to win games. He knows what it takes. And his career is speaking for him. Obviously, we all know we don't have a lot of time. He knows it as well. But the last camp was really intense. And I already know what he wants from his team. He was really precise, really clear. And yeah, I quite, uh, I really had the good feelings with him. What does he want? Win. <laughs> Finally win something with friends. Yeah, all the time, uh, especially in England, they all tell me how on the paper you got this team. And it never worked. Like, it actually never worked. I'm like, I know, I don't think the football is the problem with us. Uh, we all know how to play football. Lyon won so many titles and trophies. And you got players the national team since 10, 15 years, and they never won anything. The problem with, with national team in France is more how we get the extra percent of togetherness when it's complicated how we get there. And uh, I think Hervé is really good at that, how to manage people and get this extra percent of the team. So yeah, I, I heard some some player saying, oh, I'm not really happy that friends changed the manager. 
because you may win something now. So, so I'm like, you know, the pressure is on us all the time. We wait, we expect something from uh, from France. Um, I don't really understand why, because we want nothing to compare to Sweden or USA or England. France is always like the team to watch. But yeah, now we got uh, another possibility to win something. It's up to us to to do it. Here's a male coach coming into a female environment and I know you said he hasn't changed anything it's football but he's also had to learn how to manage women in terms of personal and emotions and what have you seen his body language like what's he like as a person I think he's so good in uh, in communication that's his strength we were all really impressed of the first pre-match meeting we had with him. There's a video about him uh, at the halftime with Saudia speaking about Messi and stuff. That was definitely him. What is funny is that during the World Cup, I repost this video on my story. <laughs> and, and then when I was sitting, watching him doing the meeting, I was like, oh, that's quite impressive in life. In reality, that's better. He's really someone with a lot of energy. Uh, is really charismatic too. He's got the big voice, obviously screaming and stuff. You don't have time to switch off during the meeting with him. We, I think that's what friends need. And I feel like he's the perfect person for the team. So yeah, now, uh, now we will see. We will see. You missed uh, Euro 2017 and a home World Cup in 2019 because of injury. I think you dropped an iron on your toe. Yeah, I did. I actually did. Um, yeah, that was a massive mistake and the worst time of my career because I came back from ACL and and two surgery and two years of working hard for this World Cup. Be back in the team, in the team with friends, with it was already a massive thing because the competition is really high and not playing during two years and come back at the best level it's already an achievement and then be a part of the team for the world cup was another achievement and uh, three weeks before the world cup i dropped an iron on my toes it's you know what is a reflex ref, reflex we say you know like when you drop something and you put your thing your like your 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 feet because i yeah i always play football so like the first things i have is not hands is feet so i just wanted to catch up i don't know why I can't explain that, but I believe in destiny. As we say in Arabic, it's mektub. That's my destiny. I believe that that was supposed to be like this. And now I recover from here and ready for another work. <laughs> Take my revenge. Kenza sounded really relaxed there, Charlotte. Um, what do you make of France's chances in this tournament? We spoke about dark horses, light ponies in our preview show. Um, they've got the talent, they just haven't got a lot of time and they have injuries as well. It's a bit of an unknown quantity given that Hervé Renard has had four matches in charge. Um, but given the harmony in the group, as you said, Kenza was really relaxed. The first meeting that she ever had with Hervé Renard uh, she said that he noticed her smile. And yeah, that there's, you know, the social media output is very open from France, which we've never seen before. Smiles, laughter, joking around. And that's not just for social media show from the sources that 
have spoken to The Athletic, there is a general feeling that the group is living so much better than they were under Corinne Diacre. Michael, what do you make of this team? Yeah, looking forward to France. I think Renard is a really exciting appointment, not just because he's you know, been in men's football, but because he's a tournament specialist. You know, international management is, is so different from club management. And he's, you know, taking Zambia to the AFCON in 2012 is, is one of the most remarkable stories in football history. And I, I just think it's really exciting. Um, and I'm at this game tomorrow. I'm very much looking forward to it, um, especially Bunny Shaw, one of the, you know, one of the most dangerous strikers in the competition up against Wendy Renard, maybe the most revered centre-back in the competition. So yeah, I think this could be a, a really exciting game. So both of these teams, Charlotte, have come into this tournament off the back of controversy with Kareem Diakra being sacked, Jamaica's rugby girls making various complaints about their FA and their tournament preparations. Is it more of a case of which team hasn't got some controversy or issue in this tournament? I mean, it feels like there's something going on with almost every country. Yep, and... That is the state of the game. Um, I think it's important to highlight those issues. As Meg said on our preview podcast is, you know, there are still potholes on the runway and that's the reality of women's football and where it's got to get to. You look at uh, the England row with um, performance-related bonuses and commercial deals and then you look at the US equal pay who are just miles ahead. But the US have had to go through their struggles to get there as well. And they've now set the standard for other federations um, as, as a marker to say, look, you know, this is what's happening with England's team. Why can't Spain get here? Or this is what's happens with the French professionalism. Um, can't we replicate this? So it's good to have those markers. And also Lucy Bronze reference that they talk to each other. Bronze has been speaking to Pateas of Spain and Morgan of the United States. I, no matter what the players say, it, that it doesn't detract from their attention on the pitch, there must be some kind of hangover because it takes a, a lot of energy to, to fight. So big deep breath, but don't ignore the issues. Keep highlighting them, keep talking about them. But also, you can enjoy the football at the same time. Well, we'll hear more on the rugby girls' situation from Jay Harris and have reaction to that game in tomorrow's pub with our panellists Tamara Griffin and the Athletics' Harriet Drudge, who will be at the game. Uh, Netherlands, Portugal and Sweden, South Africa tomorrow. Anything else you're looking forward to in either of those games? Um, Charlotte first. I'm looking to see how the Netherlands perform, uh, given they were Euros uh, 2017 champions, 2019 finalists. Where are they at? I think that'll be a good marker. And likewise for Sweden. I watched a game back of 4-0 uh, defeat against England in the Euro semi-finalists and they didn't have a bad game. The scoreline didn't flatter England, but it definitely did a lot of damage to Sweden. Um, so yeah, it's always interesting, the openers of where teams are at. And how about you, Michael? What are you looking forward to? Mainly just from tomorrow, I'll just get to be in the same hotel room for a few days because I've had... <laughs> don't know where I am half the time but uh, it's yeah. a hard life it really is a hard life you should life. come out here Charlotte honestly it's great fun <laughs> well thanks very much for joining us today as the Lionesses got their tournament off to a winning start make sure you subscribe to the Athletics Women's Football Podcast wherever you're listening now so you don't miss a single episode thanks to my guests Charlotte Harper Michael Cox Steph Young and Kenta Darley I'm Michelle Owen and we will see you tomorrow
The Athletic.